Our scripture passage for today comes from Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. And uh, as I mentioned before today, we have a commissioning service for Pastor James. But as this is his last Sunday with us for at least a little while, we have asked him to also give maybe one last sermon before he goes to the Philippines uh, and come back in three years or so and give another sermon. But uh, let's welcome Pastor James uh, once again. Wow. Good morning. I'm actually very nervous right now, considering this is... um, the last time, I guess this is the farewell sermon uh, before we head out to the Philippines. But as Pastor Charles mentioned, uh, we will be coming back every uh, four years. And that's the rhythm um, that's been in, that, that has been in place for us as long-term missionaries with our organization. Um, it's been crazy uh, several months for us as we are um, getting ready and going through the final preparations of just getting ready to leave the country. Um, Last week, we were able to ship all of our personal belongings to the Philippines, uh, 21 boxes, uh, 15 of them books, probably not as nearly as much as Pastor John. He'll probably need like 100 books, 100 boxes. So 15 of them were just books for the seminary, and six of them for just our non-negotiables, three boxes for me and Shine, and three boxes for Maya and Ava. Uh, Very emotional uh, process, although exciting. And... Five days we moved out of our apartment in Massachusetts at, at the seminary that we've been in, Gordon Conwell. And we arrived here Tuesday, and here we are. And tonight we'll be having our commissioning service with the community that we have learned, we have grown to love um, over the years. And we just really appreciate your ongoing support and prayers. Please continue to pray with us because now we're officially homeless. And we'll be living out of our suitcases until we leave for the Philippines in July 19th from Virginia. Um, We'll be in New York until next Thursday morning and we'll head down to Virginia, but on the way to Virginia, we'll stop by New Jersey, Philadelphia, and then uh, once we get to Virginia, we'll have about two weeks to spend time with our beloved family, and then we'll fly out. Um, So um, it's almost done, but yet we still have much to do and much to go through, so we will really, really appreciate your prayers. Uh, This morning, we're going to be taking a closer look at uh, Psalm 23, and I'm sure this is a familiar psalm for uh, most of you, and as we delve into this psalm together, uh, it is my prayer and hope that the Holy Spirit illumine our hearts and minds so that we will be able to see the gospel riches that are deeply embedded within this psalm. If you're taking notes, uh, there are three points to this sermon. Point number one, the seen reality when life is good. Point number two, the seen reality when life is hard. And third point, the, seen re- un- the unseen realities of grace and hope. Please join me in the time of prayer once more. 
God, we thank you so much for gathering us together as your people. And once again, we confess our desperate need for you. God, as we delve into this psalm that is so familiar to, to all of us, speak to us, minister to our um, weary souls. May we be encouraged as we see the gospel riches that are just so evident and deeply embedded within uh, this psalm, Lord. So bless our time together, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness for his name's sake. David begins this psalm with an imagery of a shepherd who deeply cares for his sheep. And David emphatically declares, the Lord is my shepherd. See, most Old Testament scholars argue that Psalm 23 was written much later in David's life. And while looking back on how God has remained faithful to him um, during every season of his life, David could have confessed, the Lord is my king, the Lord is my redeemer, the Lord is my deliverer, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my shield. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my stronghold. Instead, David intentionally chooses to confess, the Lord is my shepherd. David's humble uh, confession reveals how he views himself in light of who God is. The Lord is my shepherd implies that David sees himself as a sheep. Now, why is this important? In case you have forgotten, sheep are incredibly vulnerable animals. They have poor vision. They aren't as um, um, intelligent. They are very weak. They cannot protect themselves, and they're extremely needy and helpless. And then the bottom line is they simply cannot live and survive without a shepherd. It is humbling and humiliating to admit that I am a sheep. And unless you're willing to acknowledge your own weakness, neediness, and helplessness, it is impossible to admit that I am a sheep. Now, David was fully aware of the fact that he simply cannot live and survive without the Lord's, his shepherd's ongoing provision, guidance, and protection. So when he confesses the Lord is my shepherd, he's also confessing the fact that I am not self-sufficient. I am not self-reliant. But notice also that David confesses the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't uh, say that the Lord is a shepherd, that the Lord is the shepherd, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, which indicates that David's had an intimate and a personal relationship that was grinded on God's covenant with him, that David belongs to him, and David is fully dependent on him. What about you? Like David, do you humbly admit that you're a sheep who desperately needs God's shepherding care? And that you're fully and utterly dependent on him, as David points out in verses 2 and 3. That without 
the shepherd's care and ongoing guidance, provision, and sustenance, he cannot survive. What about you? Do you feel the same way? Have you ever wondered why it is so difficult for us to admit that we are sheep? Let's think about that for a moment. See, pledging our total allegiance to God goes against what is being valued in our society, autonomy and independence. Declaring our humble reliance on him contradicts what is actually being celebrated in our culture, self-sufficiency and self-reliance. To make matters more challenging, we live in a self-centered and highly individualistic society that gravitates towards power, fame, comfort, pleasure, and, and, and luxury. And people work tirelessly so that they can create their own green pastures where they can enjoy life to the fullest. And people tend to believe that the more they succeed, the higher they climb up the corporate ladder, the more possessions they accumulate, the bigger their platform, they can actually create their own still waters, their own hedonistic playground. Does this sound familiar to you? Does this look familiar to you? If we're honest, I mean, this is the path to self-reliance. This is the path of self-sufficiency. And there's an important question that we must ask ourselves we, we simply cannot ignore. When life is good for you, meaning when you're on green pastures, when you're surrounded by still waters, how does it impact your relationship with Christ? Think about that. Does it drive you closer to him? Does your relationship become that much more intimate when we're on green pastures, when we're surrounded by still waters? If we're honest, it's quite the opposite. Pastor Tim Keller offers a solemn warning for all of us, and I quote, apathy, spiritual stagnation, is a bigger problem than atheism for Christianity. And this is precisely what happened to the church in Laodicea, which is one of the seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, God rebukes the believers living in the city of Laodicea. And I read from verses 15 and onward. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I prosper, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. But this is precisely what happened to all the believers living in the city of Laodicea because they were on the road to self-sufficiency. They were on the path of self-reliance. It made them spiritually stagnant. Now, the city of Laodicea was much like the one that we are living in today. It was filled with great resources. People were living comfortably, indulging freely in pleasure and luxury. They had everything in abundance. Sound familiar? Right? In 60 AD, a major earthquake struck this city and utterly destroyed everything. When Rome came to help and they offered to send emergency relief funds so that they can help rebuild the city, but do you know what they told Rome? They said, no, thank you. They refused to accept it. 
and pretty much told Rome, we don't need your help. We can rebuild this city on our own. And using their own funds, they managed to rebuild it far more beautiful and extravagant and glorious than it had ever been. And they took great pride in their self-sufficiency. As it is mentioned in verse 17, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Now, having this much wealth and this prideful sense of self-sufficiency, as we can see, extinguished their passionate love for God and destroyed their intimate relationship with God. And they eventually became spiritually lukewarm, and it was only a matter of time. Greg Beale, a New Testament scholar, warns us, and this is a solemn warning for all of us, especially us living here, living in America. When you come under the anesthesia of affluence, you become spiritually insensitive, numb, and blind. Self-sufficiency causes spiritual dullness. So when you're living in an affluent society and you have everything you need and more in abundance, the chances are you will more likely come under the anesthesia of affluence. And this inevitably, inevitably will lead you to spiritual indifference and spiritual stagnation. You no longer depend on God. You, get, you begin to trust him less and less. He's no longer at the center of your life. You refuse to confess, he is my shepherd. Rather, you begin to utter Things such as, I don't need him because I have everything I need. No longer utterly dependent on God and declaring your independence from God. It happened to the people, the believers in the city of Laodicea, but it could have also happen to all of us right here. Very similar context and setting. But this can happen to all of us, especially when life is Good. And this is a very dangerous place to be if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Something to think about. The second point, the seen reality when life is hard. Verses 4 and 5. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In verses four and four, uh, four and five, uh, David's psalm takes an unexpected turn, and we find ourselves suddenly descending into the valley of the shadow of death. And it's time to buckle our seatbelts because um, this is where things will get very rocky. Now, at times when life um, becomes hard, life can feel as if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I've been there, and I'm sure you've all been there too. And while living in this broken world, we will continue to experience these valleys of the shadow of death and just inevitable reality that we must endure and that we must continue to face. Anti-Psalm 23, written by a very wise and gifted biblical counselor named David Paulison, uh, captures the, the painful reality of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I want us to read this together carefully. And I quote, I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. 
I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle for us, a concrete jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark path. Still, I insist I want to do what I want, when I want, and how I want. But life's confusing. Why do things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I feel the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me. Sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I just be alone forever, homeless, free-falling into void? It's a living death, and then I die. Does this sound familiar to you? Does this resonate with you? Maybe certain parts of this anti-Psalm 23 deeply resonate with you. In anti-Psalm 23, David Paulson captures the haunting reality of living in this broken world. This anti-Psalm is raw, as we have seen, and is brutally honest, and life can feel this way, especially when you're going through difficult trials and hardships, especially when you're feeling overwhelmed by the sting of your great descent into the valley of the shadow of death, and especially when you're feeling defeated by the agony of your own valley of the shadow of death that continues to torment your soul. When life is hard, and when you're going through that tough season that breaks you from the inside out, life will feel like this, as if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But even in the midst of such seen reality, we do not have to feel this way. Why? David reminds us, verse 4 again, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here we go, I will fear no evil. Why? He makes it very clear, for you are with me. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In verses 4 and 5, David points out two distinct realities, and this is something we cannot miss. I mean, it is true that he points out what hurts. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that hurts. The presence of evil, that hurts. The presence of enemies, that hurts. But he also points out what comforts. What is that? The presence of the good shepherd who is with us at all times. Anti-Psalm 23 is incredibly me-centered. It's life seen through my own eyes with limited understanding. Whereas Psalm 23 is Christ-centered. Life seen through the lens of the gospel. Same situation well, it all depends on how you look at it, through which lens. Now, in verse 4, David uses the conjunction, even though, to make a strong contrast between the expected result and the actual result. What's my point here? Now, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we should 
fear evil. We should be afraid. We should be discouraged. And this is the expected result. But what David shares is quite the contrary. And this is not the case. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd and he is with me. And as a result, I will feel no evil. I will not be afraid. I will not be discouraged. And this actual result is only possible through the hope that we have in Christ. But make no mistake, David does not disregard and dismiss the harsh reality of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But he points us to a greater reality, the comforting presence of the good shepherd, the sustaining grace of the good shepherd. And here we see the nearness of God who is our living hope, even in the midst of such impossible, difficult situations and seasons that we must endure. There was a family living in the Midwest. And when the father heard the tornado warning, that there is an impending tornado that's coming um, at, at the, uh, towards them, at, and their house was on the path of this tornado, so he gathered his family and put them in the bunker, his wife and his son. But he went back out as he reminded the mom and the boy, stay here, do not come out. He went out to gather the last um, last uh, personal items that, that they desperately needed. But while waiting for the father to come, this boy grew impatient. Where's dad? Where's dad? Why isn't he coming back? So he actually went after his dad. He climbed back out of the bunker, and his mom was frantically yelling, come back down, come back down, there's a tornado coming. Thankfully, the father was able to come back in time to grab the boy, and they went back down to the bunker, closed it, and they were safe. After the tornado passed, the mom grabbed the boy and asked, don't you know what you did was really dangerous? Aren't you afraid of what the tornado could have done to you? But do you know how the boy responded? I'm not afraid of the tornado. I was actually more afraid to be without my dad. And that's why I went after him. I, I do wonder how often we feel um, that sense of connection with our Heavenly Father. Whatever comes our way that can discourage you, even make you feel afraid, but are we more afraid to be without our Heavenly Father? But here's the thing. The promise of the gospel is that he will never, ever leave us, forsake us, abandon us. He's with us always. And even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as painful as that may be for you and me, he's in the midst. Do not forget that when life becomes hard. In verses 4 and 5, there are two applications for us. Number one, see the light. Number two, come and eat. Let's do the first application first, see the light. Now, I want to draw your attention to the word shadow in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David does not say, even though I walk through the valley of death. He says the valley of the shadow of death. And why is this important? This is very important. Here we see an interplay of light and shadow. 
Get this, shadow implies the presence of light. There must be light for shadow to exist. Then what is the source of this light? And where is this light coming from? And what is this, that, this light that is shining and casting a shadow on death? Let's turn to John chapter 1, verses 5, 9, and 10. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here, David reminds us that there is a shadow And it's only a shadow of death, and there's a greater light that is shining behind it. And this is also David's way of holding on to the shepherd. Because whatever that thing that's making him feel as if he's going through the valley of the the shadow of death cannot separate him from the good shepherd. And this is the reality that, that you and I must also learn to to embrace through the lens of faith and hope of the gospel. And as Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and onward, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him much for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Thirty-first, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger and sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing in this world. Whatever's in your valley of the shadow of death cannot separate you from your good shepherd cannot harm you. Nothing can snatch us from our shepherd's hands. And brothers and sisters, and and in light of this amazing truth and promise, I really pray and hope that we will never doubt in the darkness what we once believed in the light, as Johnny, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata reminds us. But also as you go through the valley of the shadow of death, and when life gets tough and difficult, especially during that season, don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith, as Elizabeth Elliot reminds us. But hold on to the good shepherd who is with you at all times. Now come and eat, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Interestingly, in the midst of this valley of the shadow of death, there's a table. And, and there's a table here, but David finds this table while walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the thing. This is God's banqueting table of grace. And this table represents God's covenantal love and shepherding care. And this table represents God's comforting presence in our midst. There is another in the fire standing next to us. There is another in the waters holding back the seas. He is with us. 
my parents recently, uh, recently came up to New York uh, so that they can be part of the commissioning service. Um, and I'm sure when you call your parents, you have experienced similar conversations. Whenever I call my dad or my mom, the first thing they ask, did you eat? And I'm like, yes, mom, it's 9 o'clock. I ate dinner, right? But that's, that's always how they greet uh, me. Did you eat? But this is their uh, love language, and they often communicate their love for me with that specific question. But you and I both know in our cultural context, it's actually a very, it's a loaded question that isn't just about food, right? Like it communicates love, affection, and care. And my, my parents, uh, they know me very well. I mean, trying to, when things get um, crazy, when there's just so much to do, I just forget to eat. I just keep working. And that's their way of reminding me, eat. Eat, sustain yourself physically so that you can um, keep going, so that you can, be, uh, you can have the physical well-being that won't affect you negatively. Right? When was the last time you feasted at God's banqueting table of grace? How often do you come to the table? Once a week on Sunday? Once a month? When you do communion at church? When was the last time you consumed that delicious, savory gospel meal? And this is precisely what we need all the more if life is hard. If life is hard for you, you got to go to the table at all times. And here's the thing. At God's banqueting table of grace, there's abundant grace and Grace never runs out. It's always open, and it's all you can eat. You can come as you like. But then the problem is that we fail to do that. But here David reminds us, when life is hard, when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, remember that there's a table right, right in front of you. And especially when you're exhausted, anxious, discouraged, feeling overwhelmed, defeated, hopeless, because of what is happening in your life, come to the table of God's abundant grace. And this table right here in verse 5 is God's way of reminding us and also asking us as our Heavenly Father, have you eaten your gospel meal? You and I, we need to, re we need to remind each other to come to the table when life it's especially hard. Last point, the unseen realities of grace and hope. Let me read verses 1 and 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In verses 2 to 5, David zooms in on what life can possibly look like in this broken world. And he paints a vivid picture of two seen realities that are completely opposite. And this is uh, precisely what we are familiar with while living in this broken world, right? The life can be really good, but on the flip side, right? Life can be really bad. Life can be really hard at the same time. 
But let's be honest, we often become too fixated on these seen realities to the point that we completely forget to zoom out. And in doing so, we fail to see what really matters. I think our problem is that we are too zoomed in on what is temporary, what is fleeting, what is happening in front of us. We are too zoomed in on our changing circumstances. And it is much easier to lose gospel focus when life is good, when we have everything we need, especially in those moments where we can actually conjure up up the courage, right, as we are deceived into believing that, that I don't really need God, right? And when we are going through a season of you fill in the blank, whatever makes you feel like you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, it is possible to lose gospel focus because God seems incredibly distant. Silent and absent. God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Have you forsaken me? I think for this reason, we need to learn to zoom out, especially when life becomes too good, as good as it gets, or too hard, as bad as it gets, so that we never lose our gospel focus, so that we never lose sight of what matters most, even in the midst of our changing circumstances. See, there's a reason why David begins Psalm 23 with the Lord is my shepherd in verse 1 and ends it with verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And get this, in verses 1 and 6, David draws our attention to what matters most, the unseen realities of grace and hope. And here David provides a much-needed gospel lens for us. And we ought to view and understand the seen realities of verses 2 to 5 through this gospel lens so that we can learn to see beyond what, we, uh, beyond what is seen, so that we can learn to fix our eyes on what is unseen, what is unchanging, what is constant, and what is eternal. David intentionally brackets our changing circumstances, verses 2 to 5, with the unchanging gospel truth, verses 1 and 6. What holds our life, our changing circumstances, verses 2 to 5, together is the unchanging gospel truth. The Lord is my shepherd, never changes, regardless of circumstances, regardless of how you feel about your relationship with God. First one, the Lord is my shepherd, never changes. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord ever. That never changes, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of where you are spiritually. And what actually holds together our changing circumstances, our life, is the unchanging gospel truth, the realities of grace and hope in verses 1 and 6. There's an um, artist named Scott Erickson, and he is an artist who refers to himself as a visual curator of spiritual thought. And I wanted to share this uh, piece that he did because I think it visually captures the point that I'm trying to make here. Your changing circumstances in your life is being held by the one who has created all things. Our lives are literally in his hands. Have we forgotten the fact that the good shepherd who leads us is the all-powerful God, the creator of all things, the one who spoke and everything came to be, the one who upholds all things by the word of his power? 
Have we forgotten that truth? Have we forgotten that the good shepherd who guides us is the all-knowing, omniscient God and that everything happens according to his sovereign plan and that every detail of our life is under his sovereign control? Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten the fact that the good shepherd who sustains us is the one who came down from heaven, that he is the bread of heaven, that he is the living water who alone can quench the inner longings of our hearts? Have you forgotten that the good shepherd who cares for us is the one who says, even the hairs on your head are all numbered, Matthew 10, 30, that the good shepherd doesn't just care, that the good shepherd cares meticulously about every aspect of our lives. Have you forgotten that the good shepherd who walks with us is the one who has already promised us, I will be with you always to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. Have we forgotten that the good shepherd who protects us is the one who has already conquered the enemy and defeated sin and death? Have we forgotten that the good shepherd who protects us is the one who promises, I give them my sheep eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand? John 10, 28. The Lord is our shepherd and he will be with us until the end. Brothers and sisters, we must humbly admit the fact that we are sheep, that he is our shepherd, and that without him we cannot live, we cannot survive. As Isaiah 53, 6 reminds us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what we're good at, wandering away from the shepherd. But praise God for his relentless pursuit after broken sinners like us. Praise God that he, he is with us and that he is for us, that he will never, ever forsake us. There was a little girl who was given the task, the monumental task of memorizing Psalm 23 for, his Sunday, for her Sunday school presentation. So she memorized, memorized, memorized for days and on the day of the, the recital, it was her turn to come to the stage, and she completely blanked. Pressure was too much. So she began, the Lord is my shepherd, dot, 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 silent. She couldn't recite the rest. So she took a step back and decided to give it another try. The Lord is my shepherd. But she was drawing blanks. Her mind completely went Blank, the pressure was just too much. And she was becoming really embarrassed because all eyes were on her and there was that awkward silence. So she wanted to give it another try, but she knew that it would be the same result. The Lord is my shepherd and I just can't remember what comes after that. So she just suddenly blurted out, the Lord is my shepherd and that's all I need to know. Dropped the mic, went off the stage. The Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I need to know, period. I think oftentimes that's precisely what we need as well, right? The Lord is my shepherd, and that's all we need to know, all we need to remember, period. Because that doesn't change. And he will be with us every step of the way. You know, brothers and sisters, I really pray and hope that, that as a church, that 
that as you remember the one who is leading you, guiding you, sustaining you, feeding you, protecting you, that in the places that, that God has called you to be, that you remember uh, these amazing truths. Because life will get hard. But don't be discouraged. Remember the unchanging realities of hope and grace in verses 1 and 6, and that everything in between, what happens to us in our lives on this side of heaven, they will continue to change, but they are being held by your Lord and Savior, the Good Shepherd. And this remains constant until we arrive home at our Heavenly Father's house. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are our shepherd. And we humbly admit, Lord, that we desperately need you and that apart from you, we cannot live nor can we survive. Thank you for your comforting presence in our lives. Thank you that even when our circumstances change, even as, even, um, as we walk through uh, the difficult seasons of life, uh, especially in those seasons when if feels like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. May we uh, not lose sight of you and help us remember that we are being held by you and that you will never, ever forsake us. And as we continue to live in this broken world, uh, corporately and also individually, um, help us to live in such a way so that the people around us, especially the ones who are living without you and without the hope of the gospel, will be able to see um, and experience the same joy of salvation and then the hope that we have through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our good shepherd. Thank you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.